Hey y'all, yes you, listening. Come and chill and hang out with Mikkel and Candice and all the beautiful people just like you on the front porch where we have intimate intergenerational conversations. So sit back, relax, grab a cool drink and we'll see you on the front porch. Hey, 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 welcome, welcome, welcome to the Front Porch Cop Podcast, where we have intimate intergenerational conversations to connect, build, and learn from each other. I am Candace, a Gen Xer, and my lovely co-host is Mikhail, who is an older millennial. We learned a new term today. We're going to tell you about that later. Uh, on this episode, we are headed to the Front Porch to talk about embracing failures and mistakes and redefining success. So Mikkel, who's joining us on the front porch today? On the front porch today is Dr. Angela Webster, Crystal Balligan, who I affectionately call Pooh, Mia Meadows, and Isaac Cooper. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Thank you so much for being on the porch with us. Please, before we get started in our conversation, a much needed conversation, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what generation you're a part of. Let's start with Mia. Hey, everybody, Mia Meadows. Um, and I am a part of the micro generation between Gen Zers and millennials, and they're called Xenals. Um, and that's because we were kind of on the cusp of all the breaking technology. Um, and I'm here with y'all from, from Little Rock, Arkansas. Nice to have you, Mia. Isaac. Um, well, Mia just educated me, so I really don't know what I am at this point. I was just going <laughs> to say I'm a millennial, <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm in between there. So I'll send you a private message just to make sure my numbers align. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think I'm a, I think I'm a millennial. I believe you're a millennial. Okay. You're younger okay. than me. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Cool. 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 Yeah. Pooh. Hi, I'm Crystal Balligan, everybody. Um, I am, didn't realize it, but I'm a baby boomer. Um, the last year of my fifties, I hate to see it go, but, um, so yeah, but embracing a new a new decade, I guess. Mm. Um, a little bit about me, um, real quick, is that I'm I'm a, a lover of life, and whatever I can do to pour into another person, especially a woman of color, mm -hmm. I'm your girl. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal, and Dr. Angela. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Angela Webster, and I also represent the Baby Boomers, and I am a mom, a grandma. I'm an executive. I'm a coach. I'm a friend, and my life is dedicated to human flourishing in ways that alleviate human suffering. Mm. Come on, healers. I know. I We're going to start the collection plate early. <laughs> I love it. And finally, you have boomers on an episode. We finally have the wisdom and the light of boomers. So thank you all so much. Okay, so here's a little appetizer before we get into the main dish of, of our conversation around embracing failures and mistakes and redefining success. So... 
fill in the blank for this. And we'll start with Isaac on this one. First thing that comes to mind. Being my authentic self is. Easy. Dr. Angela. That's the only way I know how to be. Mia. Is liberating. Mm-hmm. Crystal. Letting me off the hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Candace. Um, it is freedom. And it is also hard to do in spaces that invalidate your presence and existence. Mm-hmm. 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 I would say being my authentic self is weightless and something that I'm growing into more and more. So thank you guys for that. Um, I think that really sets the tone for our discussion today on the front porch. So let's kind of get into a little bit of this topic. So <clears throat> I just want to ask you all, and, and we'll start with, with Mia on this one, um, if you can just tell us a little bit about some of the messages um, that you received around failure and excess, success and how you kind of internalize some of those messages. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, for me, it started, I had a very strict stepfather, and I can remember <coughs> coming home. If I came home with an A, I was good. But if we came home with B's or C's, I had to explain why it was a B or C. If it was a C or D, I was in trouble. And so that immediately sent a signal to me about what it meant to fail. And it equated me getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I carried that message. I mean, I remember I was in college for the first time and came home when the professor like wrote on my paper was like, you shouldn't even be in college. Yeah, I needed some help wow. writing, right? Oh, yes, it was it was brutal. Uh, and I got an F on this paper. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling home, telling my mom I was going quick. I had failed, right? It was a paper, it wasn't even a full grade. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have learned about myself is that if you give me 24 hours, I'm going to cry, I'm going to scream, I'm going to kick, but you're not going to tell me what I cannot do. Come on. So we found a pathway, uh, and I get to be in that class, but I have carried those messages. Like, I'm grown, and I still sit with myself, even now, questioning whether or not I have what it takes. But it goes all the way back to childhood. Mm. Most things do, don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Isaac, what do, you, what do you say? What would you add to that? What are the messages that you've internalized? Yeah, it was it was actually um, through the prism of sports immediately, right? Win or losing, right? Did you win? Did you lose? Um, and and even the competitive nature that some sports demand, there is this um, numbing of oneself that you have to have to the emotion of not of things not going your way. Is even the position I played playing um, football. Uh, one of the things that is that's been communicated you know, since the creation of football is um, really we say play the next play or have a short term memory. Right. Mm-hmm. So someone could catch the football on you and it may be 50 yards. Everybody's yelling. You feel bad. 
but six seconds later, you gotta you gotta get back ready, right? And so like the time that I the as I look back, the time the time that I allow myself to resonate in some of the the things that didn't go the way that I anticipated, that muscle of like just keeping it moving was through football. Now in the business world, right? Like in when it's more so from the neck up. You know, you, you know, you can't compensate for a feeling just by, you know, physical activity, right? Like you got to think through, you have to, you have to feel the emotions. Um, and as much as I appreciated that muscle in regards of just like internalizing that, that aspect quickly, um, there was a development that I, that I saw that I was missing out on in regards of like learning myself, you know, during that you know, grinding process of just not knowing or, you know, feeling like that I wasn't enough um, or even or even having metrics that, you know, because when I got into the financial industry, my metrics were more tied to people that didn't look like me on what success looks like. Mm. Success for me was, you know, less of a tangible number, but more of um, um, impact that couldn't be quantified. Right. Um, but it took time, it, 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 it took time and people to not allow their perspective to have the authority over my, um, uh, what I deemed as success or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Angela? Well, as I think about it, um, I start with my parents and my parents didn't really place a lot of pressure on us as far as success or failure. What they highlighted for us was to always do our best. So do your best. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Mm -hmm. And whatever you do, do it with your might. So they never really categorized them as success or failure. So that sent me to the world looking. And of course, that's a really bad idea as a, a baby boomer seeing how my parents uh, grew up in segregation and we were living in public housing, but my parents are really good people. They went to work every day. They didn't call in sick. They didn't take vacation. They were honorable, all of that. And so I was trying to figure out, according to when I did start looking outward, why did they not, why did they not appear to be successful according to the world standard. Mm -hmm. And so that that really plagues me quite a bit because I thought, well, they're such good people. Why aren't they succeeding according to those standards? And so I really, over time, came up with my own definition of what failure is and what success is. And I have just used those as my models for gauging where I am in life. Mm. Mm -hmm. so, um, so it, my answer is probably a pre pretty much a little bit of what everybody has shared, um, especially being a baby boomer, um, coming to D.C. when my mother was about um, eight weeks away from delivering me, she got stuck here and couldn't go back to North Carolina. And so... I was born here, we went back, and then, you know, 15 kids stayed with grandma. My parents came up to DC to get their footing. My mother was a school teacher. Um, 
which I hated, by the way, because <laughs> it was always in my business in my school without you know. <laughs> um, and my, my father, and here's where the contradictory of my life began. He was someone that often went to jail. Um, and, you know, where I saw other school teachers, their husbands were principals of schools or doctors or, you know, but why is my father like he drinks too much and he always goes to jail. So mm -hmm. that's what started this, you know, I don't know, for me, imposter syndrome. Like, you know, I had to be all these other things or check these boxes that I thought would equal success, right? You know, yeah, my mother's successful. She's a school teacher. She, you know, um, tutors kids, she, she travels, she does all this stuff, but yet I love the life that my father lived, the gambling, the fast life, and and so um, when I, you know, finished school and, 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 and started working for D.C. Public School, there were so many things that I thought that I wanted to change, and almost like what Isaac said, you know, the position that I was able to get over 20 something years ago um, was not a lot of female leaders. Um, we were secretaries or executive assistants, but not ops directors. And, and so I battled with, again, the imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Yeah. Am I do I dress the right way? Should mm -hmm. I put on a suit every day? Or am I good with my my leggings and a, a, a long sweater? <laughs> you know, so those were my battles, you know, trying to balance the success and failure. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One from my past and then trying to, you know, clear the way for for where I am now and, and going into my future endeavors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love I love all of that because it, it just there's so many threads I think that we could pull on um and and I think we will over the next few minutes here, but I do want to just kind of pick up on something that I, I think I've heard all of you say, which is the the way in which you've grown or expanded, how you think about success, what it means to you, how it's evolved. And so I'm just curious to know what were some of the things um, or what were some of the ways that you grew from the way in which you define success or failure or from some of your um, mistakes? Like, how did you grow from those things? What did you learn um, from those mistakes or however you define a mistake? Because maybe it wasn't necessarily a mistake, but just a little opportunity for growth. So how, what did you grow? What did you, or what did you learn from those experiences? Um, Mia, how about we start with you? Hey, um, it's interesting. So I tell folks I have a master's in counseling, but I'm still in counseling. I'm have a therapist. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and part of me unlearning the unhealthy ways of thinking about failure and success really started on my journey in 2000 and, um, 
five when I sat in front of a counselor for the first time to begin unpacking all of the different messages I internalized. Um, and here I am still doing the work. I think for me, and on this specific thread and journey, um, I've just been taught so much. So my grandmother had a huge part of my upbringing and she never said you need to be this to be successful. She said, you have to be self-sufficient. Mm. That's what success was. As a single mother of four kids, she didn't want me to struggle. She didn't want me in the project. She said, I don't care how you get there, just get there legally is what she said. <laughs> um, what that situated though for me was, let me work all the time. Let me climb this ladder. Let me figure out this next move while also having a poverty stricken mindset, which was also mm -hmm. just this huge battle, right? Um, and I think my relationship with Christ and understanding my identity and trying to do that work helped me understand and free myself. Uh, one of, I have a really good mentor who said to me, an error is never a mistake unless you refuse to correct it. Mm -hmm. So I try to look at failures now as mistakes. Did I try to correct it? Did I try to make it right? Did I tell somebody, as a matter of fact, y'all, I made a mistake. When I say zennials, I meant between Gen X and millennials. Oh. <clears throat> Mia, can you hear us? Hopefully she'll pop back in. Maybe she, hopefully she can pick up where she left off when she sure. comes. But other thoughts from either Isaac, Dr. Angela, or Crystal? Well, you know, um, women and people of color are known for beating up on ourselves for the, for the uh, ways that we think life didn't go our way. So one of the things I'm learning is that if I, if I make a mistake, when I make a mistake, if I fail, when I fail, uh, I see it as the universe telling me to go in another direction. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the other part of that is for me, failure means there was something for me to learn and to take away from it. And as long as I do that, then I don't count it as failure anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Learning opportunity. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I was um, really going to say the the same thing. Even even to the point, I don't even know if I if to be honest, I don't even know if I've ever articulated the term failure. Like when it pertains to, I, to be honest, I don't even know if I've said it because I I don't want to internalize that to Dr. Angela's point because nine times out of ten, just with the the experience that I've um encountered or or something i had an expectation and it didn't go that way there was a growth opportunity there but i had to see it that way first right and and so when i think about the pain or discomfort or the frustration that i'm going through is one or two things one i'm growing but two i'm going through this to be able to share it with someone right and, and so even even if the outcome did not go the way in which i anticipated I'm already thinking about the person I need to communicate that to. I don't know when it's going to happen, right? But I know that this experience wasn't just, you know, happenstance. If, you know, what you're doing is for, you know, 
uh, a proper purpose. Now, if you're out here just, you know, kicking rocks and, you know, doing some crazy stuff, then, you know, then didn't work that way. But um, just just the term failure um, for me has been less of a binary type of uh, description, but more of a comma right? Like it's not a period when something doesn't go the way I anticipated. It's a comma. It's just, you know, what am I going to do after that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, am I going to, you know, stay in that frustration and that emotion? Not You can still acknowledge it. You don't want to, you know, ignore it, but it's just, I'm not going to give it authority in that, in that moment, because again, I should be discovering what it is that I need to be focused on to make sure that the end goal is, is executed. What got you to that place? to be able to see failure as something that isn't uh, indefinite or isn't the end or something that defines you? Like what work or realization did you go through to see it as more like an ellipsis? Yeah, it, I, I, I would say the moment I took all, and I'm not, uh, the moment I took all the excuses off the table, like the moment, the moment I knew that I could not go to anyone, um, outside of myself, I knew that there was a, well, let me back up, let me back up, let me back up. I, I, I think it really was, it, it concretized itself when I knew the work that we were doing was gonna outlive me. So it really didn't matter how I felt. Um, and, and I oftentimes have to remind myself, like Isaac, this isn't about you, right? Even if it's something I don't wanna do, but the outcome is what we need to manifest in regards to the community work that we're doing or clients that we're working with. So there's there's just been a few experiences that I've gone through to where, you know, a, a buddy of mine told me this and, and, and I remind myself in moments, he said, Isaac, all, all bad times have an expiration date. And and even when I think about the times that, you know, I what it could be money related, it could be family related, like even at times I think about the most um, um, sensitive areas that that cause that was very um what's the word i'm looking for vulnerable for me i was very vulnerable in that in that moment um it transitioned to something else right mm -hmm. like a month ago i was there was something that was a priority that i was that that i was frustrated or upset about and and it, and it evolves but um and I, and I and and i think the liberating aspect of the ellipses of that dot 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 or the comma is the fact that i you know we, we have our own business. And so the ability to change my emotion with action is not predicated off of, you know, another entity's infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Hey, Mia, welcome back. <laughs> you were right at the point of explaining the zennials, if I'm saying it right. Can you, can you jump back in there? My bad, y'all. Uh, technology dysfunction. Um, I was saying that I was going to correct my own uh, mistake real quick. Um, and uh, Xennials is in between Generation X and Millennials. And I, I said it wrong at the beginning, but it, now I've corrected it. So that's all I was trying to do. <laughs> Model that behavior. <laughs> Crystal, what about you? What's what's on top for you? So I'm just, you know, reflecting on how similar to what Isaac said, like you couldn't say you failed. You just, you know, first of all, 
we were taught to keep secrets, right? You better not let nobody know how bad we're doing in this house, <laughs> you know? And so you would, you know, put on a new sweater and, but you may have, you know, generation of somebody's girdle or skirt or slip, you know what I mean? Um, and so you, you, you always fix the outside. Mm. Meanwhile, the inside was rotten and dying, mm. you know, um, with not ever, not feeling good enough, not measuring up, um, and not um, fulfilling your purpose, all of those things. And someone shared this with me. It took a long time, though, that your most devastating weaknesses as we may see it can be an asset to someone else because you are sharing your experience how you got through this difficult time you got to the other side you know and so use that as an opportunity to to to, to learn an opportunity to grow and an opportunity to pour it to someone else Mm -hmm. I, I love that because it makes me really think of just how how in education at least we talk about the whole achievement gap all the time yeah. and it's always okay there's this you know the, the gap between the students that are you know on target and the ones who are struggling and all they need to do is just get over here to the other side mm -hmm. and my thing is always how are they going to get there mm -hmm. if that is what we're talking about in terms of expectation standards you know whatever that is success how are they going to get there without some kind of bridge? And if they look over there and they see that looks great and wonderful over there, but I'm cool over here because I know what this is. Like they may never see that as, as achievable. So I, I'm always inclined to say, okay, those of us who have figured out how to navigate, how to get over there, how to whatever it is, you know, that we were trying to uh, attain, we got to be able to, at least for our children, we've got to be able to stand in the gap. It's not about the, just cross on over and get on over here to this other side because it's great and wonderful. But how are we actually standing in the gap to be the bridge for them? So what you said makes me really think about that in terms of how we define success and failure and all these various and multiple pathways um, towards success. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would I would just add to that. I believe everything starts in the mind, right? So we can build a bridge and the how-to and lay out the blueprint and co-navigate with young people, but it starts in the mind. And I'm not saying I have any solutions for like what that what that looks like, but it is um, it is a mindset and everything that you all have shared, it started with in the mind and what you internalize and what you processed and what you what weight you took on from somebody else's expectation and standard and how you shed that weight to redefine for yourself and in your mind how you define failure. Um, how you think about your value. So I think that's so important. So a lot of what we've talked about is like your 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 own individual journey. And this question still is in that realm, but how have you all navigated tending to family and meeting the needs of yourself and your family while also navigating the expectations and standards of success that have either been imposed upon you, that you've either internalized, or things that you've sought after? 
How have you mitigated or how are you mitigating that? I believe I was a, a mother who, of course, loved my children, uh, did whatever I could for them to make their lives better than mine. But I always prioritize myself. And in the Black community, and especially my connection with the Black church, I caught a lot of flack for putting myself first. As an example, I divorced my kid's dad. I guess we divorced each other. He's not still married to me, so we divorced each other. <laughs> and, uh, um, and literally, I divorced in July. I was sitting in graduate school in August. And everybody was like, oh, my God, like, you need to be taking care of your kids and what's going on. And, you know, he made, you know, twice the amount of money that I did. So I had to, I didn't have to, I chose to sell the big house and move into something that made sense for my budget. And I, as a means of preparing for my future, I went immediately into graduate school and everybody says, you need to get a second job. And everybody had their idea of what my pathway mm -hmm. to a brighter future should be. And um, me being in graduate school was just not anybody else's design besides mine. And I just decided I knew intuitively in order for me to be a good anything, good mother, good Christian, good, I had to be a good angel. I had to be true to Angela before I could be true to any other cause in my life. And I knew that education was that glide path for me. So I took that, but family, friends, colleagues, my family, my church community gave me a really hard time until they could see the fruit of my labor. Mm. I was a, my children say, I always, I don't think I was a great mom. My, my children say, mom, you were a phenomenal mother. You just were not a traditional mother. Mm. So Dr. Angela, would you agree that taking care of self is taking care of your family? There's no other way you can do it because you're going to implode, explode, or just pass out if you don't. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. like, how are you going to guide them and you don't have a compass for yourself? Mm -hmm. I was I was I was showing them, I was modeling before them, your life can fall flat on the sidewalk, as flat as a pancake, but here are some ways you can get back up for yourself. Mm. And, and 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 I did it in a way that wasn't a look of desperation. Like I've got to get another job. Yes, we moved. You know, we moved out of the big home, but I moved into a better neighborhood in a smaller home where my children felt safer. It was more of a community. So I made it look like, oh, so you can get back up again, and it doesn't have to be a desperate move. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Isaac. You have three beautiful babies under five. So how how do you navigate self and family with the expectations of success? And what questions may you have for some of the moms? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it's something that I'm learning as we go um one of the things so i'm jamaican by blood uh floridian by birth and um and 
Jamaican parents. So, so, um, but with my father, I knew who my father was, we, you know, he lived with us, but we didn't necessarily have a relationship. So it was four, four boys, one girl, five of us in total. Um, uh, we, we, we speak more, um, now than ever, like even in the last couple of years, we've talked more than we've spoken my whole life. Right. And so our relationship has definitely, um, evolved. Um, but that was my template in regards of not really having any type of communication with a with a with a male, a black male, right? Um, especially my father. Um, and through that, and also through sports, um, which is why I often say coaches are like substitute dads, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the the coaches were the ones that I was able to see some of those principles, but that element of just intentional time, I didn't have a blueprint for it with family, especially not being able to recollect in regards of like, as, as a small child, like, you know, it wasn't like Disney world or things like that. So it wasn't like major um, uh, memories outside of sports. Cause I played sports all growing up. Um, that, that was uh, what I thought was my identity. Um, and so w- Getting into the financial industry, being the only black in the state of Alabama, I saw models of other men with children and I saw what I didn't want to do. I didn't like the fact seeing cats at the office at 7 p.m. I'm like, bro, you married, go home, which is what like what are we doing? Um, <laughs> I didn't like the fact of, you know, you know, I, I, I remember vividly. Being um, congratulated in high school for certain things, if it's awards or sports, get an interception, look up, I don't see my parents there, right? And so I, those emotions will never leave me, which is why I'm going to be at every game, which is why I'm going to be at practice, which is why. So I made sure um, as the business was evolving that I started to crystallize and start putting, because um, I don't I don't think work-life balances, I don't think the balance is the word, it's more so the boundaries, like what boundaries do we need to put in place? Because it's always going to be, you know, some type of like, um, it's always going to have that element of it. Right. And um, so coming home, um, I, I make sure as much as I can, again, I'm not a hundred percent consistent, but I try to, I, I, I try to, you know, I strive for it. Um, phone to the side, you know, I'm communicating with my kids. They know I'm a big play. I'm a playground. So if they jumping, I'm, you know, I'm jumping, you rolling, I'm rolling. So it, it's making sure staying involved with that, but also, just having like intentional time, like in like literally intentional time. I've, I, I've challenged myself because, you know, my wife knows that if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. Well, how come I don't put my family on my calendar? You know? And so like, I've, I've had to um, implement some of the infrastructure that I put in the business with the family, right? Mm-hmm. The grace that I have with certain clients. Oh yeah, it's all right. But I don't have that same type of grace with, you know, my wife or whoever it may be, that's, 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 you know, closer to me. And so um, seeing models of what I didn't want to do, but also being intentional with the time um, and then, and then not being married to a schedule. My favorite schedule is not having a schedule with the family, right? Like, let's just figure it out because then now, now there's more time for disappointment. Oh man, we didn't get here in time. No, we're together even if we're just in a car, like let's pre that's precious time. And, um, sorry, I'll get into a whole rant talking about that, but, um, <laughs> yes, for the mothers, I would, I would love to hear, um, insight on the best 
way to communicate. Um, so let's say we have two separate days, right? And now we're coming together for the family, the household. What is some of the best practices in regards of engaging in communication um, once you kind of align, you know, with your significant other or just in general? Ask them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> how was your day? Or is that more so like just yeah, asking them how they want to spend that time mm -hmm. together? Okay. They, okay. they, I can guarantee you, they have ideas about that. Every single time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every single time. <laughs> and I would add, I think your questions matter. I remember I used to just ask my kids, you know, how was your day? And they'd be like, good. And I was like, what does good mean? It's like, there's like this whole list. And so now I'm like, what was the best part of your day? And tell me why was that so best? Tell me what's one thing you could have done better today. Um, when we get out of the car, as you were talking to Isaac, uh, every moment matters. I start every morning with an affirmation with my kids and we take turns leading it. And it's the same one every day. Um, and so we've actually like gotten this rhythm with them. Um, and kids will tell you, I even ask kids for feedback. Like my kids are so brutally honest. I was like, I have two, I have a nine and 12 year old and my son. I said, you know, Josiah, uh, I want to ask you for some feedback as your parent. And I said, how can I be a better mom to you? Mm. And he looked at me and he was like, well, you could put me so hard on Elena. Mm. And I was like, you think I'm hard on my daughter? And he was like, well, yeah, ma, these are ways I think you're hard on her. And I was like, oh, that's stunk. So when you get ready to ask some kind of questions, he's <laughs> ready for some real answers. Because what right. I'm learning is about generations, um, Gen Zers, and now we're at Gen Alphas, they want authenticity. They want real trust. They want you to pull behind the curtains. You know, uh, when Chris, when you were talking about, you know, getting the outside together, but not the inside. And they want to know what happened in the inside. Yes. Uh, and so with my kids, I've tried to be much more open about myself. Um, some ways I'm not ready for their follow up questions, but, but those moments matter. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. That's that real authenticity, right? And I, I, I so agree that the younger generations, they are demanding that. They are not accepting the, the superficial you know, real pretty answers. They're like, mm -mm, get, I want the nitty gritty. Yep. All of it. Tell me everything. Dig down in there. And that is hard, I think, for any any other generation, because that's not exactly, th those were not the messages about, I mean, success was supposed to look like a certain way. And you have to show up in this successful persona. And I mean, I'm generation X and we absolutely live through all of the black excellence and the puppies and the this and the aspirations and it had to be it had to look like this you had to sound like this you had to dress like that you had to drive this you had to have the big car and so what you are you know the million dollars in debt do it anyway you know that we live through some of those messages and I think. I think that has hurt our generation for sure. And some of those messages I think have even been passed um, to some of the younger generations. But I love the fact that these young kids are like, mm -mm, give it to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it depends on the household, right? Like as, as Mia was stating, the, the open discourse and dialogue and like leading with authentic curiosity with her children, that matters because 
even with Gen Zers and the alpha generation, everything is filtered. It's quick TikTok shorts. It is super long claws and spiderweb. Like there's a there's a lot of filtering. There's a lot of inauthenticity that I believe parents are are navigating and putting on the full armor of, of God <laughs> to combat. So shout out to you, Mia, and what you're doing in your household and what you're doing in your household as well, Isaac, um, and what you, Pooh, and, and Dr. Angela, you all have done in your households and even for your grandchildren, because it's 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 very real out there. I think that that's probably a really good segue even to the next question about just how um, how you would diagnose the world that we are currently living in um, with all of the filters and this whole idea of being perfect or perfectionism and you know what 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 is a prescription to all of that that you all might offer so how, how would you diagnose it what does it look like to you and then what's the prescription for maybe some of those things that are not working or even and i'll even flip it and even ask what are some things that we can continue to do that's working? I'm happy to kick that question off because I've been trying to wrestle with it, um, especially with my kids and dialogue and conversations and, and getting them off their cell phones and shutting stuff down so you can learn to engage with people. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, as I think about our current society, we are still very much caught up with capitalism and consumerism and wanting to be like the next person right so if we're not careful with all the inputs we're putting in our brain whether it's social media or tv uh you'll be quick to find yourselves trying to measure up to somebody else's standard of success or failure and i think it antidote to that um i've been really thinking about spiritual practices and we've just gotten away with a lot of them we don't really use them uh, but I've been on this whole kick about Sabbath, um, and I think it was um, Walter Brueggemann who, who coined Sabbath as resistance. And what does it mean to actually practice the Sabbath, um, to actually get off your cell phones, to get out and go for a walk, to have conversations, to not have a schedule, to practice present, because that was a gift, right? So I'm not going to preach on here. But for me, <laughs> back in our lives, like Sundays used to be sacred. Like I grew up, like it was a sacred time. It was family time. It wasn't always perfect, but I had a day from work. You didn't touch it. You couldn't get on my schedule. Don't call me. Um, and I mean, we used to sit around food. Like I just remember the memories of grandma waiting up at six o'clock in the morning, fixing a full Sunday dinner before going to church. And then everybody would just come out and hang out. Uh, and I think we've just lost a lot of that because we're so busy to the next thing. We don't even know, right? Like companies are advertising to keep our attention. Um, and so we just have to be much more aware and cautious of that. And I think one spiritual practice of, of really keeping Sabbath can help. Mm -hmm. So what I'm learning is, as I you know, really reflect on my life and be introspective, um, number one, I'm so grateful for the the foundation that my parents gave me to cultivate character and integrity, you know, morality and ethics. And, and I think our, I grew up in the tradition of the church and that church supported those notions. And so, you know, I've been on a lifelong journey of that. 
And at some point I realized, oh, but to actually be successful out there, um, you need some credentials or education or something. Mm -hmm. I got on that parallel track with my character. So now it's character and my intellectual development. So what I have been learning, you know, since I've been over the age of 40, which started last week. Right. (laughs) Um, In my senior years, I have had to adopt a third track, a third parallel track of wholeness, cultivating Mm -hmm. a journey of wholeness. And, you know, and I always thought somehow my spiritual journey was going to automatically get me there. But I think my spiritual journey was so focused on character development because that's what my parents um, elevated before me. But I've had to deal with wholeness because, you know, I'm not saying this for all Christianity, but the Christianity I was taught said that you don't put any stock in your emotions. You ignore your emotions. You can't trust them. But, you know, now I'm learning that that as a human, we've been given he, uh, emotions for some very good reasons. I mean, children don't have the wherewithal for intellectual processing, but they have emotions to tell them when something's not right. So I've had to learn how to uh, own my emotions, uh, feel them until I can heal them, and really uh, figure out a way how I'm going to deal with my emotions and disappointments and all the things that happen in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I've kind of developed this system where, you know, I have information in, which is, you know, books to give me strategies, podcasts, and all of that. But I have this information out, meaning how do I process it all? And, you know, journaling has been such a boom for me in that instance. But just realizing what I need to make sure I'm whole, not just spiritual and not just smart, but whole. And that that keeps me from falling into the traps of crazy debt, falling into the trap of I've got to have the next iPhone. Well, I get the next iPhone when my old one is no longer working. I don't have to have all the trappings that TV say we have, we supposed to have. As a matter of fact, I don't, I mean, you know, I cut the cable cord but even all the things that I stream, I have no commercials on them because I don't want you trying to sell me anything. I don't need your suggestions for anything in my life I can think for myself. And so I've just had to adopt that that last pathway of wholeness to help me to maintain what I know is right for me. Mm-hmm. So then, Dr. Angela, if if you identified this third track of wholeness that was necessary, you identified that last week when you turned 40, how, how, can, how can a young man or a young woman that is 21 or 17, how would they begin to embark on a track of, of wholeness? I would say first and foremost, getting to know who they are as an individual. For instance, when I was, let's say in my 20s, let's say when I was in college, I remember I could just be walking down the street. All of a sudden I have this sad feeling and I was just kind of go, Hmm, what the wonder what that was. And then in my thirties, I would say, yeah, I wonder what was that? And then in my forties, it's, it's okay. What was I thinking about? Who did I, who was I 
What was I thinking about? Who was I thinking about? Where was I? I really try to pinpoint why did that emotion just that fleeting emotion go by me and then actually start to process that as opposed to just letting it go. Because, you know, anytime we bury our emotions, they just, you know, they, they're buried alive. They don't die and they rise mm -hmm. up at the most inopportune time and in the most inappropriate way. Why am I saying this with Mia on this call? Because I'm all over in her lane. <laughs> you have life experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Crystal, you work every day with, with, with young people. So what, from your purview, how did we get here in this space of like this curated, filtered, perfect is everything, perfect is goals, and what prescription would you offer? So it's funny you should say that. So on Friday, I just had to tell y'all this really funny story, right? On Friday, it's dress down day, but I didn't want to be all the way dressed down with a uniform top and jeans and so on. So I had on some some ripped jeans, not too ripped, just showing the knees. Okay. And uh, a peekaboo. Y'all know what a peekaboo shirt is, right? Okay. So I had on one of those. And this eighth grader, she was like, Miss Crystal, what is wrong with your shirt? I was like, what do you mean? I thought I spilled something on it. She was like, well, if I can't show my cleavage, you can't either. <laughs> Well, all right. <laughs> now, she have a point. Like, you see my neckline? This is what was showing, but usually they see me in a sweater, a hoodie, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that was eye opening for me. Like, they have a certain image that they see Grandma Crystal, right? Versus her being human and, you know, feeling a certain way on a certain day and wanting to express that. Mm -hmm. And it just got me thinking that, you know, one, they trust, she trusted me enough to say that, to be that open, right? And to be that honest and to almost hurt my feelings a little bit. But I heard her. I heard, I heard her. I heard her, oh, you know, I may be the only grandmother image in this baby's life. Mm. And I, 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 and quite frankly, I know that I am because her mother calls me almost every day for guidance, advice, and how to raise her kids. You know, Mikhail, that's something that's not new. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so how do I get to this, to this, to this space of, embracing, you know, her rawness. Mm -hmm. You know, these kids, nowadays, I mean, have the courage to say what I wish I could have said at 18, 19, 20 years old and have an open conversation with an adult and get the, the guidance and feedback to help me grow through it. Mm -hmm. And case in point, and I'm, I'll share this because I battled with this for years. You know, I was a sophomore in college, and I thought success would be to marry my my high school sweetheart, have a baby at 19 years old, 
we would get married and right off to the sunset, he would finish college and I'll be the housewife. Um, Y'all know that didn't happen, right? I did have a daughter who, oh my God, I'm so grateful what I thought was a failure. I mean, she is phenomenal. Um, I thought that that would, that was one of my most devastating glares, right? Mm -hmm. um, I learned so much from that. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, being, being a single parent for over 13 years, um, working two jobs and going to school mm. um, so that she doesn't have to feel what her mother felt. Mm. And that was a sense of failure. Because I told you, my mother was a school teacher and it, what was <laughs> school, you gotta go to school. You can't do anything else but to go to school and church. That's it. You know, <laughs> school and church, that's it. And outside that, you don't need no life. <laughs> right. And of course, I rebelled and didn't want to do any of it, you know. <laughs> but um just having those life experiences, um, and I'm able to be transparent and, and share those failures, those mistakes with my daughters. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're so we're so close. We talk about just, you know, the freedom to be able to talk about anything with my daughters. I couldn't do that with my mother. Mm. You had to sit up straight and act like yeah. you wanted to crochet, knit, and play the piano. But, you know, so I, I learned so much. I learned so much from this generation. Last thing I'll see is my granddaughter. When I transitioned from elementary school to middle school, my granddaughter was going into middle school. And I was really nervous and apprehensive. And she was like, Grandma, don't worry. I'll show you how to be the best school grandma for middle schoolers. And she did. I would take her with me. And she would, you know, we would have conversations and she would say, Oh, no, don't, please, no, don't stop them from using TikTok, grandma. They love that. You know, she taught me how to interact with, you know, the typical middle school student. Mm. And so here we are four years later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Relationship building is key. Other, other ideas, what's, you know, how are we defining this space um, that we're currently living in? And, and do you all have some, some prescriptions to share, <laughs> some wisdom? Uh I'll just share um, from a money aspect. You know, unfortunately, we hear the keeping up with the Joneses, um, and and then as well the tool of technology of social media be able to have access to what people deem as their perspective of life um, that oftentimes isn't the reality. And so, what these young people aren't being exposed to is the process. So I think our ability to be able to um, impact and give them exposure into the reality of life is by us documenting like this podcast right here is part of the prescription right they are able to see and hear perspectives even if they're not in a room um and 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 i've been thinking about this even with my my own children on um i don't know if it's journaling but it, there's just notes that i take that i 
it's, it's, yes, I'm taking notes for the, you know, that particular day or thoughts, but I'm really thinking about, here you go, right? So they can get an, an understanding of what I was thinking during that time and also the evolution of it. So I, I, I think that what is foreign from one generation to another is the, the well, I don't say it's foreign, but not as widely used is how we document our activities, um, you know, while we have our priorities um and not be frustrated with how people misuse it because there's a lot of powerful folks that i know impactful folks that i know that are more frustrated with how people misuse social media and that's why they're not on it and and i i appreciate that perspective but that's what young folks are you know and so just as you mentioned crystal with TikTok, just as you mentioned with you know these social media platforms just just because um, um and i've had to do this to my you know for myself because low key high key i'm a i'm i'm an old soul i like to sit sit in the back you know and i'll listen to slow jams right like and 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 also um my introduction into business being an entrepreneur i was an entrepreneur before i knew how to spell it you're not gonna be on social media so like just even as a practice like hey you know what we doing um but that element of our the the prescription is going to be tied to what we document how we document um and Miss Odessa Woolfolk, she's a Birmingham legend, and she shared this with me. She said, Isaac, we have to, you have to listen and learn, but we also have to learn to listen. And what she was speaking to is this intergenerational connection, right? They have to listen to us to learn, but we have to learn how to listen to them, right? And and I think that's the, that's the, you know, parallel track um, when we think about the prescription. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, all of, all of this is really making me think of just the, I guess, the multiple ways in which we think about success and define success and the models that we've had and the 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 various pathways that we followed and witnessed. And so I guess I'm just kind of wondering, like, how how people kind of perceive your success or and even how do you perceive it? for yourself? Like how, what does it look like, feel like, sound like to you um, when you think about your success and then, you know, just how, how do other people perceive it? I always think it's really interesting in how other people perceive their success and you're like, what, what are you talking about? This is just my normal way of being. This is what I do all day. But other people see it as success. I'm just curious, how do you all, um, what does it look like, sound like, feel like to you? Um, and then how do other people perceive it? I was just going to say, which, what's funny is I absolutely love the work that that I do. I mean, it's, it's like a dream job. And the passion that um, is filled on my end with doing this every day, um, to me, is effortless. But the perception is, is that, oh, you're a woman of power. You a shot call. And I don't see it that way. You know, I help make yeah. informed decisions that, you know, um, others are like, oh my God. You know, some people feel intimidated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I do get to say no a lot, but. <laughs> <laughs> I do get to say no a lot, but 
say no a lot, but you know, thinking collectively what's best for the organization. I, mm -hmm. I say no sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, people um, over the years view that as their perception is is that. Here's the difference between being a boss and a leader. Mm -hmm. I like to think of myself as being a leader. I don't want to be pointing fingers and saying, here's what I need you to do while I stand back and sit on my throne. <laughs> I want to be in the thick of the throes with you. Like today, my custodian, you know, I'm short staff, right? And so when it, you know, there was a spill, I mopped it up. And one of the students said, oh, my God, Miss Balligan, you mopped the floors? They got you being a janitor? And I was like, yeah, this is my building. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. has to be done. So when I walked in the cafeteria, I, I had five kids picking stuff off off the table. Mm -hmm. Not making sure, don't get her house dirty. That's what I walked in. So, so no. I mean, you know, we set the perception, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, as an academic, I have a lot of models in my life, you know, acronyms and things that I go by. And I mentioned that my life is dedicated to human flourishing, but uh, conversely, it's important for my life to flourish. And so I look at the work of Dr. Martin Seligman who says flourishing has five areas and it's PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. So this is kind of how I look, I guess, these are kind of the metrics for my own success, if you will. So he says the P is for uh, having a pleasant life, meaning you have life satisfaction and you're content with your life. The E is for having an engaged life meaning you're able to identify your talents, gifts, and abilities and use them and actually flow with them in your, in your, in, you know, throughout your day. The R is for having a relational life, meaning mm. I love people and I have people who also love me. The M is for having a meaningful life, which means I live uh, for purpose, on purpose, and uh, the A is achievement, having a life of achievement, having an achieving life. And that means you, I'm winning at something that matters to me. So mm -hmm. in the spirit of wholeness, I look at all those different facets of my life to mm -hmm. see what I need to continue to monitor and give more attention to or bring more harmony into my life. So flourishing is the point for me. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some other other thoughts, other ideas. All right. I'll, on that, right? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'll 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 jump in. Um, <clears throat> even as we've been talking through this, I I I have to make sure that I share that my identity growing up was literally in sports, and so the fact that I'm still not playing football was something that I'm still wrestling with. So that was the, you made it, NFL, NFL. My brother played a couple of years um, in the league. And, and of course, financially, you want to change everything for your family. And so when that didn't happen, I, and I mentioned it earlier, that my identity was in football. So when other people saw me, 
it was you go into the NFL, you go into the NFL. So when that did not happen, how I saw myself was through that lens, right? Unfortunately, right? Because of that identity, right? More so the little God. Um, and so even, even as my responsibilities have transitioned um, into, you know, business and some board appointments, um, you know, I, I I, I really just, to Crystal's point, I, I fall in love with solving problems, you know? And so oftentimes it's, you know, I'm tapped on the shoulder like, hey, this or what? I'm like, all right, all right that's cool. But we, if you know how big the problem was, we wouldn't be over here kicking it, right? Like, I, you know, and so, um, so I think that unfortunately as well with Black, within the Black community, whenever there is some type of evolution <clears throat> in one's situation, um, they think that the process is easy or quick because you make it look like look that way. Um, um, uh, colleague of mine, he said, man, I, I'll never look like what I've been through. And and I think that that um, rhythm in life can unfortunately not give the full perspective of a process. And so when they see your appointment or they see the the uh, um, just the growth, they don't take into consideration whatever pain that you went through. And so unfortunately, if you if the community and or others do not have a um, open, um, uh, we'll just say a, a, a open space to communicate, then whatever they're saying in their head or whatever frustrations that they're, you know, they have with themselves, they're going to place it on, you know, your process. And so, um, but yeah, I, I, to, to Crystal's point, I, I thoroughly enjoy what we do. Success, you know, that's more, you know, I, I, when I think about success, it's more of what is going to outlive me. Um, and, and, and team knows that I don't, I don't want to be a part of anything if it's not going to outlive me. Um, and, um, and that's, and that's it ultimately. Um, yeah. So I'll stop. Ain't nothing else left really to say. I mean, I think that covered it. I think the the one thing I was just thinking about is how success has changed for me over the decades. And I would say right now, like I just entered into my forties, and it's actually not about another job or another title or having more money. For me, success is about: Am I walking in my purpose? Am I doing what I'm created to do every day? And do I have the right rhythm to do it in my life? So mm. not the work-life balance, but have I figured out the rhythm with all the mm. different hats that I'm called to work in this season? Mm-hmm. And if I go to bed at night with that, saying, God, I'm doing what you're supposed to, what I'm supposed to do, then I feel like I'm successful, which is fundamentally different than 10 years ago yeah. when it was like, you got to get married, you got to have kids, you got to move into this neighborhood, you got to make this amount of money. And for my family, everybody's like, you're successful, right? Like you're the first college graduate in our family. You're the first one that's going to get postgraduate degrees. Like you're living the life. And I'm just like, to your point, I just think nobody knows what really caused that and the pressures that I used to carry from them trying to be the perfect child, if that's even a thing. Um, I had to let all that go because as soon as I did something that was outside of that perfect way, it was like, oh, Mia, you failed. Like, mm-hmm. how could, not Mia, you weren't supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they tell you when you wake up, when you turn 40, it's like, bam, 
the light goes off and I was just like, I got to let all that go because that kind of stress is killing us. I love that. I, mm -hmm. I hear a lot of legacy language, like, you know, the success is tied to legacies and what we, what we're taking, what we've taken um, through our own lineage and then what we're giving um, in terms of our legacies and what we, what we give at least from this conversation, is more about helping each other um, kind of unpack, examine some of the things that we've experienced, but then also just finding and defining success for yourself without these ideas about it should look like X, Y, and Z. And if it, you don't achieve that, then you're a failure. Mm -hmm. No, no. Yeah, yeah. And the work is ongoing. I don't hear from it any is. of you all have shared that, like, it's done You've arrived. It's a wrap. You know what I mean? I've mastered it. It's like y'all probably were working on some stuff today, maybe 20 minutes before this recording. So mm -hmm. thank you all for your transparency. And this conversation was nourishing for my spirit. I hope it was the same for y'all. Would love to close before we have you share how people can follow you or get in contact with you. Can each of you share what is one source of joy for you? that you would recommend for anyone listening? What's the source of joy that you would recommend for anyone listening? I love this question. Let me write this down. Well, good question. As everything else in my life, I have a model. Go ahead and teach. So mine are the four Ps. Um, these are the four things that bring me joy. People, places, projects, and products. So all kinds of people, you know, families, friends, colleagues, neighbors, all of that. Uh, places I love to travel, um, you know, throughout the States and of course abroad. Projects, that's my work and all the things I have my hands in, like Isaac mentioned, being on boards and things of that nature. And then the products are just the outcomes of my work or the fruit of my labor. So all of those bring me great joy. Oh, I love it. I was thinking products, literally products, not thinking of outcomes. So I'm glad you said that. That's some vanity I got to work through. Thank you, <laughs> Dr. Angela. Other folks, a source of joy that you would recommend to anyone listening? For me, uh, I deeply have come to understand you cannot do life alone. Mm -hmm. You need a good covenant group. I'm talking about folks who are going to hold you accountable, uh, keep you in the word of God, who also you can laugh with and travel with uh, and shed tears with and show up in life with. Um, it has given me so much joy to find that group for me. Covenant group. Mm. Um, uh, two things came to mind. Um, quiet time. So um, I wake up early, extremely early. Um, it's, it's times where I have uninterrupted thoughts unless I ch choose to interrupt it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right, folks ain't on social media, so you ain't got to worry about that. And now, if they text and calling at four o'clock in the morning, you know, hopefully that's a workout partner or something like that. But <laughs> quiet time, um, and 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 just being at peace, being still, you'll find so much joy in that. Mm-hmm. You'll find so much joy because there's clarity in that. Yeah. No music, no coffee, no nothing. Dry mouth. You ain't even brush your teeth yet, right? Like just sit still. And just be at, and just, it's gonna feel weird for a little bit, but probably about 20, 30 seconds, your mind's gonna, but just sit still, quiet time. Second thing is music. Love me some music. So, um, you know, find you some good tunes and, and, and have a release. You know, sometimes that may be the gym for someone, but, you know, cutting the rug a little bit sometimes make you feel good, regardless of what you're going through. And so music is, is definitely, um, you know, a source of joy for me. So I was going to say, um, which I just got into in the last maybe four to five years, is journaling. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The joy that when you're able to reflect where you were a year ago. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe that's where I was. But that that has brought me so much peace and joy. Um, And then the other thing, I can't believe I went through this whole segment and didn't mention that. My husband brings me so much joy. That's my, oh my God. That man right there. I believe next year this time, (laughs) I would have been married half of my life. Mm -hmm. So this is the third marriage. So I didn't didn't even get to tell y'all that. But yeah, Mm -hmm. half of my life. And I'm happy this time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Shout out to Ben. Hey, Ben. <laughs> Candice, what about you? Uh, source of joy. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I gotta go. I gotta go with the quiet. Just, just the quiet moments where I can like deeply reflect and sometimes it's when I'm driving and you know I'm I am that person who is driving and 10 miles later I'm like how did I get yeah <laughs> I get here I'm like oh it's time for me to get off the interstate but um, that's my exit okay um but just that that quiet time just to sit and reflect on the day or something that was maybe a challenge or come back to something that I was thinking about earlier um, just to kind of work through that. It, it really does bring me kind of some joy and peace. And I, I feel like a little settled um, kind of in my spirit when I'm able to do to do that. Um, so that that definitely brings me joy. You know, just warm weather and the beach. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff for sure. But just those moments where I can just like sit and be quiet and really think and reflect. I love it. There's a lot of joy with that. I love that. I love it. For me lately, it's been serving. I started serving in ministry at my church. And as I'm always getting full and fed from my church and I wanted to be able to serve and utilize the same gifts I get paid for, the same gifts that God designed me with in ministry and serving has brought a new sense of joy, a new sense of honoring the present of the present. that has been really good. So 
If you can serve in any capacity, any volunteer basis to use your gifts um, to support others, that um, that's a great sense of joy. So, yeah, great. Um, again, I have notes. I will be coming back to these notes. Um, but before we sign off um, from the front porch or before we leave the front porch, where can folks follow you all? Where can they find you? I'm on social media, but not very active. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. All the accounts, but I'm I'm a little bit unplugged right now, intentionally. Got it. Got it. So you can follow Dr. Angela through all the gems that she dropped on on this here podcast. Peace and Perma and the third track of wholeness. Right. Follow her example. That's what you can follow. You remember. <laughs> other folks well i guess i'll throw um i would uh follow our project so we have a financial freedom project where we are teaching financial literacy to elementary schools middle schools mm -hmm. and high school students um so mm -hmm. you can follow financial freedom project on all platforms instagram TikTok, facebook linkedin and then of course you can find me on those as well just my name isaac cooper um we share a lot of information and so more than anything it will be uh, informative because as we all know with money and technology there's a lot more misinformation on how to use both so um mm -hmm. we look to essentially you know cut through the fat and get you what you need so uh financial freedom project to see what these babies learning um and and then of course you can connect with me personally on all the social media platforms financial freedom project project yes ma'am so I'm someone like Angela. I'm, I'm letting this must be the baby boomer thing, right? Like I'm on, I'm plugged into every platform, but I'm not really. I just want to kind of be nosy a little bit. <laughs> everybody knows I'm doing, but I never post anything, so I have nothing to follow. <laughs> That's the social media drive-bys. <laughs> <laughs> Follow the wisdom in the gems that was dropped. <laughs> Amen. There's some wisdom for not being on too at times for my day boomers. Um, I'm usually on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. Me and Metal is pretty easy to find. Thank you all for coming to the front porch. It has been wonderful. You all have been a blessing to our, our spirit. Um, we will uh, make sure that all of your social media handles are a part of this um, broadcast and thank you all again for coming to the front porch thank you for listening to the front porch podcast resources and other goodness from this episode are in the description please share subscribe rate and review and we'll see you next week on the front porch <laughs>